the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. The book of Revelation is all about uh, Jesus Christ. And that's what we are studying. Uh, we are presently studying uh, the dragon and the two bees. Uh, that, that, that's a long uh, passage. It goes from Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, to Revelation chapter 14 to 20. And right now we are in the middle of chapter 14. So I just want to do a quick recap of what we are doing in chapter 14. In chapter 14, uh, we, in the first five verses, the description is about the lamp and the 144,000. Uh, God's people, chosen people, who, who alone can sing that salvation song and others cannot sing. That's what we find in Revelation 14, 1 to 5. And from Revelation chapter 14, 6 to 13, we have the vindication of the righteous. In fact, we hear the story of three angels. In this chapter, there are four, seven angels. So in 6 to 13, we are encountering the first three angels. The first angel had eternal gospel. We saw that in verses six to seven, the first angel had the eternal gospel. And the Bible clearly says the gospel is for every nation, tribe, language, and people. It is not for just one particular group. It is for everyone, everyone made in the image of God, for all humankind. So the eternal gospel is for everybody, irrespective of their ethnicity, nation, nationality, language. The eternal gospel is meant for everybody. And we saw that it is the responsibility of the church to take this gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, in, uh, in, in, this, in that, uh, verse number eight, we saw about the second angel. The second angel just cried out, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Uh, that's what the second angel said. Now, then comes the third angel, which we saw last week in verses 9 to 10. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark, on their forehead or on their head, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. What's interesting to uh, notice in this verse is uh, they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. It doesn't say in the presence of the saints. Uh, in other words, we, uh, the saved people don't get to see this. The, it is only the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. Uh, and, the, that's, and the saints are only asked or encouraged to stand firm in their faith. We have seen uh, about what's meant by hell and how do we understand? And uh, we saw that in death last uh, Wednesday. Now we go to the next verse. Uh, that's the 11th verse. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for, for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Uh, that the smoke will rise forever ever, ever and ever, it only shows that there will be eternal damnation. Uh, it's interesting, uh, you know, sometimes people will say that the evil uh, people will be just, uh, they, they use a word called annihilation, that they will be destroyed. Uh, but the Bible doesn't uh, speak about that, so we don't know. It only says the smoke of the torment will rise forever and ever. All that we can safely conclude is that, that this torment will be forever, for eternity. 
we have already seen that the angelic worshippers in the heavenly temple they never cease to worship god day or night it goes on forever and ever and in the same time the damned uh, the people who are judged they never cease to suffer that's what the bible says uh, in other words it says in the end time judgment the wicked people will have no rest so we go to the that's what revelation 14:11 says we go to the next verse 14:12 this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of god who keep his commands and remain faithful to jesus uh as i told you that the saints are not given uh a vision of the torment of the wicked people they don't get to see that but they are only encouraged to stand firm because the wicked people will undergo torment uh, so in other words the, uh, the bible says it encourages the followers of christ to be strong in their faith even if you have to face persecution remember there'll be a vindication there'll be a just there'll be justice in the end so even if you have to die as a martyr uh, you remember that it will be better that you take this gospel to the uttermost part of the world so that more people at least people can be saved from that kind of eternal damnation uh the call to the believers is you always stand firm in your faith and the encouragement to the believers is take this gospel to the uttermost part of the world so that more and more people could be saved from this eternal damnation as we saw last uh, wednesday itself you know when we talk about fire we talk about damnation uh the modern readers sometimes they find this uh, very uncomfortable they say after all god is a god of the bible how can god allow people to eternally suffer uh, so they don't like to use this language probably they even try to interpret it in different way uh, we have already seen what happens in the hell uh, it is not it is a metaphorical figure it is not a literal fire that people will be burning it's 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 all about disintegration which we saw last uh, wednesday but fire and sulfur basically are traditional symbols uh, uh, for the fate of those people who who uh, who willingly they reject god it is not that they try to find god and they don't find god they willingly they reject god uh so if people persist in living contrary to the structure of the god's universe god has created this world there is some order there is a created order and if people persist that we are not going to follow god's order uh then they must suffer uh the most terrible thing that a person can do is deliberately to turn away from the living god it is not somebody is forcing that person but deliberately to turn away from the living god so john says people who deliberately turn away from the living god will suffer forever and ever there is no life apart from god life is in god and we can only enjoy god uh, we can enjoy our life in god apart from god there's no life so since god respects our free will god will never force us to do something so if somebody is deliberately trying to run away from god uh, they meet the destination of hell because there is no wholeness uh, there is no life there is only be disintegration uh, so the suffering that people endure is basically self imposed 
and self-perpetuated. We saw last uh, week itself, it is not even God sending people to hell. It is people marching towards hell. They just go on their own. It is not even God has to push them. Uh, I, we saw from that uh, parable from the Gospel of Luke, how the rich man and Lazarus, the conversation and all, it's not that rich man, somebody forced him to go there. He went and how he was blaming him, blaming God rather than himself for being in hell. So, but at the same time, uh, we cannot say with certainty uh, whether any soul will in fact eternally resist God, we cannot say. We, we just don't know. What the Bible uh, doesn't say, we should not try to uh, interpret. Because if we try to get into areas where the Bible is quiet or silent, then it will only end in speculations. And it will be very interesting to our ears, but they are not the truth. So whenever we try to get into areas where Bible is quiet, silent, it will only lead to speculations or approximations and imaginations. And that's the reason we have so many gods in the world, because people have entered into that realm of speculations or into the realm of imaginations. You imagine your God like this. So they can never come closer to the real God, but can come with some kind of a superficial God, which is only an approximation, but it's not the reality. But we need to realize that the, in the Old Testament, God always promises his people about vindication. Uh, blessed, even in the New Testament, blessed are those who are persecuted, you know, for kingdom of God belongs to them. So God always promises some kind of vindication to the people who undergo this kind of persecution. Uh, so people who lay down their lives, they are being assured that you will be vindicated to the utmost. Now, when people are comfortable, now this kind of passages are quite disturbing where there is no persecution. Uh, this will be uh, quite uh, troubling. But in areas where people are undergoing persecution, where they're being intimidated, where they're being physically attacked, uh, there if you read these passages, these are the comforting passages for them. People who suffer, people who are being persecuted, when they read one day God will vindicate us that gives them comfort and that gives them courage. So we've, we go to the next verse. Uh, I want to ask this question, a very uh, simple question. From where did we get the term rest in peace? We, RIP is a common thing we use, but from where did we get the term rest in peace? That's RIP. You can unmute yourself and speak. Where did we get the term rest in peace? Any idea? Okay, we will see that. Uh, in the beginning of uh, when we started the book of Revelation, I said there are seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Uh, do you remember the first Beatitude? There are seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Anyone remembers, remembers the first Beatitude? The first Beatitude was in the first chapter itself. Uh, in chapter one, verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. The reason why I asked this was, today we are going to see the second 
of the seven beatitudes there are seven beatitudes in the book of revelation so we are going to see the second of the seven beatitudes you know john hears a voice from heaven declaring then i heard a voice from heaven say write this blessed are the dead who die in the lord from now on this is the second beatitude um, yes says the spirit they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them uh, a heavenly voice you know th then i heard a voice from heaven and the heavenly voice promises peace for the martyrs people who have died witnessing for christ and then the holy spirit confirms it yes says the spirit they will rest from their labor so the key phrase in this verse is blessed are the dead who die in the lord in the lord is the key phrase in this uh, in this verse now jewish text often speaks of the righteous receiving rest from their sufferings when you read in the book of hebrews you read in the book of joshua you find jesus said if any, in the matthew if anyone uh, is heavy laden come to me i'll give you rest so rest is a um, consistent uh, topic in the bible so the jewish text clearly says that the righteous people will receive rest from their suffering uh but if you read the greek or roman text uh they say that uh it, it's it's not an assured rest but it's like a kind of consolation that the dead uh were happy dead people were happy or at least the, what the text says is the dead people at least were not sad that's all the greek or roman text says but Judaism that's the old testament it stressed that the peace <clears throat> the righteous will have peace and all those who die in the lord will enjoy peace and in the jewish memorial inscriptions or in the tombstones uh, they regularly mention peace for the dead and uh, because whatever they were recovered archaeologically from rome uh, all the jewish epitaphs they recovered they have they had the words in peace rest in peace that from that's where we get the word rest in peace that's where we get rip blessed are the dead who die in the lord from now on they will rest from their labor it's it's basically it's the it's from the scripture now in second thessalonians uh, 1 6 to 7 says god is just he will pay pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well this will happen when the lord jesus is revealed uh, from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels peace is assured after all jesus is known as prince of peace so peace is assured to all those who are in the uh, in the lord not only we will have peace we will also have rewards the righteous dead would also receive great reward now the reward is a very common uh, theme in the old testament Uh, it is both common in Judaism as well as in the New Testament. You know, it is the good deeds, it is the patient sufferings, will follow them as witnesses. If something has to follow us, it is only our good deeds and patient sufferings. Because living in this world, our our Christian walk is a warfare, and when we suffer patiently. and we continue to do good deeds we don't earn our salvation because we have been saved we do good deeds and these good deeds and our patient sufferings they follow as witnesses 
they follow us as witnesses when we stand before the righteous judge. Uh, in Revelation, the last chapter says, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I'll give to each person according to what they have done. My reward is with me. I think some of these things we've just overlooked. Uh, we, we, that's the reason the Bible, Jesus said, you know, put your treasure in heaven. Put your treasure in heaven. In other words, put your treasure to good use so that there is reward for you. My reward is with me and I'll give to each person according to what they have done. Now, all these three angels, if you have noticed, they only make announcements. The first angel, the, 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 the first angel talked about the eternal gospel. The second angel said, fallen, fallen. Uh, Babylon is fallen. And the third angel said, what's going to happen to the condemned people? Uh, and what will happen to the righteous people? So it all made just heavenly announcements, proclamations. Now we are coming to the symbolic actions. I said there are at least seven angels in this chapter. So the first three only make announcements. There are no actions that we have come across. The rest of the four angels, they act. There are visions of symbolic actions. Now what we see in the, the second half of the chapter is harvesting the earth. That's what we see from verses 14 to 20, harvesting the earth. Uh, if we read uh, 14 to 16, it says, I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung uh, his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. Now, who was seated on the cloud like a son of man? Who was seated on the cloud like a son of man. In the verse 14, we see that I looked and there before me was a white cloud. Seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold. So who was seated on the cloud like a son of man? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Anybody else? Jesus. We had, we've got one answer who was seated on the cloud like a son of man. All agree that it is Jesus? Maybe an angel because it says like one uh, was one like a son of man. So it could be an angel. Could be an angel because it says one like a son of man. Yeah, could be an angel. Yeah, we have got uh, answer for Jesus. Uh, could be an angel because one like a son of man. Any other answers? Looks like, looks like God himself. God himself. Okay, three answers. Okay, now let's see that. Now, one like a son of man, um, as we heard that uh, it could easily refer to Jesus. We can, we, we can think that it is Jesus because of uh, the references in the Bible, because in Revelation, we could, we could say Jesus, but we are not at saying that, because in Revelation 1.13, it says, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man uh, coming with the clouds of heaven. Uh, son, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. Not only in Revelation 1.13, it says a son of man dressed in a robe. And in 1.13, we clearly know that this refers to Jesus. And we also have Daniel 7.13, which says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one 
like a son of man. One like a son of man. Uh, somebody said because it's one like a son of man, it could be another angel. But in Revelation 7, 13, it clearly refers to the son of man. One like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Uh, but we find it difficult to uh, convincingly say this is Jesus. Though we have those, these two references, uh, using these two references, we could say this is Jesus, but still it's very difficult for us to say uh, this is Jesus. Uh, we cannot be very certain. Uh, I don't want to be very certain in the interpretation. It could refer to Jesus, but it is very difficult to say Jesus. I'll tell you the reason why we say uh, why it is difficult. Uh, probably it says that it is, um, it basically says that the figure appeared like a human. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is, we could technically say that this figure that appeared was like human. Yeah, in contrast to some other angelic figures, there was a difference and it resembled more like a human. Uh, the reason why we say that it's very difficult for us to say that this is Jesus is, uh, in verse 15, it says, then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. It is very difficult for us to uh, except that an angel will command Jesus. If we say that this was one like a son of man, if it's Jesus, um, then another angel, it's very clear, verse 15, then another angel came out of the temple. It's just an angel, another angel, and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud that's one who was like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sh sharp sickle in his hand. Take your sickle and reap. Nowhere we find that angel commanding Jesus. So it becomes uh, difficult for us to accept this. This could refer to Jesus. Uh, some say because he had a crown of gold on his head. Uh, no, he had... Um, he was seated on the cloud. Now, not only Jesus was seated on the cloud, there were even other figures who were seated on the cloud. The Bible clearly says about that. Because in Revelation 10, 11, it says, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. So just because he was, uh, he was seated on the cloud is not an uh, enough indication to say that it, it is Jesus. Uh, because here a mighty angel coming down from heaven, he was robed in a cloud. Even in Revelation 11, 12, we saw that, then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. So with these terms, we cannot be very sure that uh, this is Jesus. Uh, some say because uh, he had golden crowns, uh, son of man with a crown of gold on his head. So we have seen that because of the white cloud, we cannot say it is Jesus. Because one like a son of man, we cannot say Jesus because the another angel is uh, giving the order, take your sickle and reap. Um, then some say because he had with a crown of gold on his head. Uh, but the crown of gold on his head, if you... Uh, if you if you read uh, if you read the entire book of Revelation, when you come to Revelation 19, 
11 to 13, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him and that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. And we all have no doubt uh, we can say with certainty, this is Jesus. And if you, in the Greek uh, language, if you see the word that is used for crowns here, uh, the Greek word is diatemata. Okay, that diadem, okay, you can say in short, diatemata, that's the Greek word uh, which is used here. But if you remember uh, when we were reading about the letters to the different churches, uh, every church, it said, whoever is going to remain faithful, he will be crowned, he will have crowns. So there are many places where the word crown appears in the book of Revelation. I said here in 1912, the word, the Greek word is diadem, diadematha. That's the Greek word here. <clears throat> but if you see in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 9, chapter 12, and even here in Revelation 14, 14, we come across the word crowns. <clears throat> Those of you who were, you were noting down, you can note it down. Uh, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. In Revelation chapter 4, 4. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. In Revelation chapter 9, verse 7. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And the verse right now we are studying, that's Revelation 14, 14. <clears throat> the Greek word that is used here is Stephanon. It's altogether a different word. So with these three things, we cannot say that um, it is Jesus. We cannot say with certainty it refers to Jesus because of these reasons because uh, the son of man will not be taking an order from another angel and just the cloud, that's not a good indicator for us or it's not very certain for us to say, yes, this is Jesus because we come across the word cloud and crown again is not a good indicator to say this is Jesus. Uh, so it's very difficult for us to say this uh, refers to Jesus. So now we go to the uh, next three verses. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven. It's all talking about harvesting. Came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had, sharp, who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's wine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. It's an apocalyptic language. <clears throat> uh, people, they, they understood this language very clearly. Whenever it talks about you know, gathering the grapes and crushing them, it's all talking about judgment because you have these references in the Old Testament. You have in the book of Jeremiah 2530, if you read, it is there. And, and people, they were cultivating grape wines and they were very familiar with this kind of language, uh, taking the wines and crushing it. Uh, so you can say it's like blood. So they all, they were familiar with these figures and that's what John is using. Uh, basically the language used here is from the book of Joel Joel 3.13 says, swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. 
Come, trample the grapes, for the wine press is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Uh, this, is, this is a language of judgment. Uh, that's what we find in Revelation 14, 17 to 19. Uh, this, this is again from Isaiah. When we read Isaiah 63, I have trodden the wine press, wine press alone from the nations. No one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments. I stained all my clothing. What's interesting is, here it says that in uh, Revelation 14, verse 18, if you see that, still another angel who had charge of the fire. It's interesting to read that. Um, because in the Jewish idea, uh, angels, different angels had charge over different elements. Uh, like one angel had charge of the fire and one angel had charge over the waters. Because when we go to Revelation chapter 16, here it talks about in Revelation 18, still another angel who had charge of the fire. And when we go to 16, then I heard the angel in charge of the waters. So that's the idea that's there in this verse. You are just in this judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were. So uh, still another angel who had charge of the fire. Basically, this angel was in charge of the altar. Uh, it's, it's the angel who keeps the fire of the incense altar. Uh, it, it's basically to say that the, the prayers, the prayers of the saints are heard and now the angel is answering those prayers. That's what the angel who had charge of the fire from the altar. Uh, we saw that the incense, it reflects the prayers of the saints. Uh, so God sends judgments in response to the cries of his oppressed saints. When we cry out to God, uh, I don't know why we sometimes, why people find it so difficult to accept this passage. Now, if we are persecuted, if we are undergoing difficult difficulties, sufferings, violence, intimidation, abuse, what will we do when there is no justice? What will we do? We will cry out to God. What do we expect from God? God is a loving God. He should sit quiet. So when we are in suffering, we expect God to vindicate us. So when people try to uh, extrapolate one issue, when they stress it out too much, God is such a loving God, he cannot judge uh, because they have not really faced persecution. They have not faced discrimination. They have not faced violence just for their faith in God. So John is writing to people who are undergoing persecution so when they read this, it's going to be an encouragement. It will encourage them to persist in their faith. Uh, so we come to the last verse of this chapter. That's 1420. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horses bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. Now, outside the city. The blood flows high outside the city. Basically, it's talking about Babylon. And this is what's going, this is how Babylon will end. There'll be a flow of blood outside the city. And it says a distance of 1,600 stadia. Now, ancient reports of urban battles, if we read the ancient stories, they clearly, they refer to streets flowing with blood. Uh, whenever there was mass, massive slaughter, uh, they would say that the blood was flowing like river. Uh, I'm sure we have all come across this phrase, rivers flowing with blood, because when people were just slain and they were thrown into this river, 
th these are the phrases they used. Uh, now, what it says is, uh, when while blood flowed like streams, horses would walk up to their chests in sinners' blood, and chariots would be covered. Uh, these are all descriptions of what's going to happen, how God is going to judge, how these uh, wicked rulers will be brought to their knees. Because this is what we find in Ezekiel 32, 5 to 6. I will spread your flesh on the mountains and fill the valleys with your remains. I will drench the land with your flowing blood all the way to the mountains and the ravens will be filled with your flesh. Now here in 1420, we come across the figure 1600 stadia. Uh, if you read the NIV footnotes, it'll say about 180 miles. Now 1600, why 1600? Uh, there are different interpretations. Um, 1,600 is basically a square of 40. 14 to 40 is 1,600. So some suggest 40 as the number of punishment in the Old Testament. 40 whipping. Uh, so 40 times 40, 1,600. There's some say like that. This is all just a figurative significance uh, the Jewish people had different figures. Uh, so this is again another figurative significance of 1,600 stadia. Somebody said that the size of Jerusalem was 1,600, but uh, that doesn't appear to be uh, right. Now we have already come across the figure 144,000. Uh, in this very chapter, we, have, we came across this word 144,000. It's nothing but 12 squared, uh, 10 cubed. Uh, 12 into 12 is 144, 10 cubed is 1,000. So that's where you get the figure 144,000. Uh, Jerusalem is presented as a cube. In the Jewish literature, Jerusalem is presented as a cube. Because when we read, when we come to Revelation 21, 16, the city was laid out like a square as long as it as long as it was wide he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long as a cube yeah basically what this passage uh, conveys us or this particular verse conveys us is none of the army gathered against god will survive none of the beast worshippers committed to the world's value will survive. That's the message. The wicked will perish. Nobody will escape. Now, some say here the, you know, the river is flowing with blood and they say for the wicked, it'll be like rivers flowing with blood, but for God's people, there is a river flowing in the paradise. They say there is a contrast because when we read in Revelation chapter 22, one and two, there we see that the, that the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamp down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Uh, this is talking about the, right, the life of the righteous, the life of the saints. So while the saints will see that the river of the water of life, the wicked people will see the river flowing with blood. Uh, it, it's, it's almost, it's like to what height it will flow that's what we find in Ezekiel 47, 4 to 5, a familiar passage. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the river had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. It's all talking about the kind of life the righteous will have 
but the wicked will drown in, uh, in a river of their own blood. They were trampled in the winepress, <coughs> sorry, outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as, as high as the hot brittles for a distance of 1,600 stadia. This, the, that's what the chapter, uh, this, the, the chapter concludes, basically to say that those who worship the beast, those who have the mark of the beast, they will not escape judgment. But those who stand firm in their faith, uh, they will be blessed. They will enjoy rest. Uh, that's what the, uh, this chapter says. Now, how literally or symbolically we should apply uh, these passages? Now, instead of a literal interpretation, uh, we should try to see that how best uh, it speaks to us. So as Christians, we should value what matters most to God rather than what matters to the world, but not to God. As Christians, as children of God, it is important we remember that our actions count, they matter. If nobody else is watching, God is watching. So what matters most to God is evangelizing the world or in other words, sharing our salvation with others. Salvation is something very precious. The more we understand the salvation, we will be surprised that we have been saved. Why me? Why me? Of all the billion people in this planet, why me? So we will understand the importance of evangelizing the world, helping people made in God's image. We, that's the only way we store our treasures in heaven. And that matters most to God. As I said, when we stand before God, our good deeds, and our sufferings, they stand behind us as our witnesses when we stand before God. And God has always said that he will reward us. He's a righteous judge. So it's important for us to have our treasures stored in heaven rather than in this world. And we have to keep these things in our mind, what matters most to God? What matters to the world? What matters to the world is how rich we are, what's our designation, that's what matters to the world, but it's not going to count in the eyes of God. So as Christians, we should always keep this um, its mind. Um, now, some people will say, if we go to heaven, how can we rejoice in heaven when we know some of our family members are not there? Uh, but the purpose of Recording this announcement is to assure the oppressed Christians. People are undergoing persecution for their faith. The, it is basically to say that they will be vindicated. You see, when you're suffering, we want our distress to come to an end. You read the book of Psalm, the psalmist will pray, Lord, bring this distress to an end. None of us will say that, let this go on and on and on. So basically this, Chapters are to assure them as they are undergoing suffering that their suffering will be vindicated. It is worth withstanding the sufferings. Uh, that's the reason in this chapter we find that God chooses an angel by the altar because our prayers are as an incense. So the angel who is in charge of the altar as an age, agent of judgment because of the prayers of the saints. When we pray, our prayers are heard. When people are undergoing persecution and they cry out to God, their prayers are heard. And God is assuring them, your judgment will come. You will be vindicated. Those who have wronged you will be punished. Now, what we saw about the wine press and all, it is just an image of the Old Testament. But if you read the Gospel of John chapter 15, it's all about the wine. Uh, I am the wine of the world. So I am the true wine. Uh, so this is a very familiar thing. 
basically to like the wine press, they'll be crushed and all that. It's basically to say the wicked will face judgment. They will be destroyed. And John is basically telling people, now is the time for you to make a choice. Are you going to follow God? Are you going to follow the rulers of the world? Are you going to follow the beast? Are you going to follow God? He is addressing this letter to the seven churches. Uh, it is, there is not only persecuted churches like Smyrna and Philadelphia. We have already seen these churches. So Revelation was written not only for persecuted churches like Smyrna and Philadelphia. There were compromising churches. They were there, but their heart was not there. They had a little bit of world, a little bit of God. So there were churches like Sardis, Tiatira, and Laodicea, and uh, Pergamum. So John is writing to the believers there. Now is the time for you to make a choice. Do you want to follow the beast? Do you want to follow the world? Or do you want to follow God? Do you want to do what matters to the world? Or do you want to do what matters most to God? That's the kind of letter Paul, uh, John is uh, writing. So John is saying that you are going to live for eternity. You're going to live with God. Now make a choice. Now make a choice. This world, you, you are in this world, but you are not of this world. Are you going to do things what matters most to God? Are you going to do things what matters to the world? That's, that's what he emphasizes in this chapter. All this graphic illustration is all to say us, one day God will vindicate us and those who withstand patiently, those who endure, uh, they will enjoy the rivers of life. Uh, so we have completed chapter 14. If you have anything to add or any questions, you can ask now. Pastor, Pastor, you stated whether any soul will in fact eternally resist God, we cannot say. Um, did you mean to say that, um, that uh, people who resist God and uh, then who are thrown into the lake of fire, maybe uh, they would regret, not repent, regret, oh, I left, left God? <clears throat> that is something that has not been given to us to say with a certain conviction. But God is so loving, will a soul be, uh, because when we read the Luke chapter 14, where we had the, para, the, Luke, the parable of the rich man, uh, the rich man is not repenting there. The rich man rather is blaming God. That's why he says, you please send somebody, you send Lazarus down, my four brothers are there. In other words, the rich man is saying that the reason why I'm in hell is because of you. You didn't give me enough evidence to show that you exist. So that's why uh, the you know the text says that they have he has the text. The scripture is there. It's to believe or not, it is left to them. Just because somebody will go from heaven, it does not mean they'll believe. So when we are talking about hell, it's a state of disintegration. And to what extent people will come back. Uh, we will not be able to tell with certainty. After all, salvation belongs to the Lord. So we should not say you will go and die in hell. That's not the kind of language we should use. We don't know. But one thing is very clear that there is a vindication for those who are suffering. The, the, right, this, the people who, who stand for God will suffer, but they'll be vindicated. Now, whether those who undergo that torture, they'll endure it for eternity. We, we, I think we, because it is, the scripture is silent. I think we should be silent. Okay, thank you. Uh, because of late, there are writings which talks about uh, God can never judge people because he's so loving. He came and died for us. 
because he's such a loving God, how can he ever send somebody to hell? So there are writings like that, but those writings, again, they are, uh, they are not right as far as the scripture is concerned. It's not for us to say who will be in hell, who will not be in hell. It's not for us to say that there'll not be judgment because the Bible clearly speaks about judgment right from the beginning. All the Old Testament text, if you read, the righteous will be, will be rewarded. They will be vindicated. So the Bible talks about that. Since Bible is talking about that, it's for us now all of a sudden to say there'll be no judgment. God will not send them. Uh, all that will, it's not right as far as the scripture is concerned. At the same time, we should be cautious in saying that, you know, what's going to happen to the wicked. We don't know. We don't know. The Bible as of now, it says that they'll be judged. The, but elsewhere the Bible says they will be thrown into the lake of fire. Yes. Um, so we we're not too clear of. No, I think Pastor, you were not there last Wednesday. Yes. Yeah, I had spoken about hell. Hell is not a literal fire. Uh, it is Gehenna. It's talking about a garbage dump outside the city. Uh, where there's going, the garbage dump is being put on fire. Basically, it's talking about a state of decomposition. It's, it's talking about a kind of uh, disintegration. When you don't have God, there is no wholeness. There's a kind of disintegration when you resist God. It is not the literal fire that's burning. It's not the literal fire. It's a metaphorical figure that we read in the scripture. And uh, because we have got used to this kind of interpretation, the fire will, there's a fire, it's a burning fire and all that. We're here right in this world, when we reject God, there is no peace. There's a kind of disintegration. And if that disintegration is multiplied by infinite times, so you can understand what will be that state. Now, right now, people don't have peace because they don't have God. And when the peace is not there, you multiply that lack of peace by infinite times. So that is hell. So when we say we have joy forever and ever, the, the joy that we have, the peace that we have in God, in this world, in the midst of sufferings, uh, you multiply it by infinite times, then you understand how big is that joy. That's what the Bible says. Uh, we need to tell people that it's not about the literal fire you will be pushed into hell. It is all about the purpose for which a man has been created. He is not living to that purpose because God is not there. It is only God who gives that, uh, that purpose. He only holds us together. That holding together is not there in the absence of God. No questions? Yeah, somebody is asking. I said thank you, Pastor. Yeah, thank you, Pastor. Anybody else? Okay, we'll just say what a prayer. I hope the chapter is clear. So we are going to uh, see chapter 15 next Wednesday. Glorious Father, we look to you for this time of study. Oh God. As we have studied the word, we pray, Lord, we will understand more and more. You are a loving God, gracious God. Give us the grace to always stand firm in our faith, O oh Lord. On our own, we are weak. We are fallible. O oh God, I pray that the spirit of God will minister to us, uh, will strengthen us, so that, Lord, we bring glory to your name till the last breath of our lives. Bless each and every one who has attended this session. Continue to minister to them, bless them, O oh Lord, lead them, provide for them, guide them, O oh Lord. Above Father, we pray, I pray that you'll bless them with good health and strength, with peace of mind. Fill their hearts with joy, which you alone can give, O oh Lord. Teach us not to run after the things of the world, but to do things that matters to you and you alone. Thank you, Lord. You will reward us. Even if you don't receive rewards in this world, 
there comes a time, Lord, you will reward us. And Lord, we will be wise enough to invest our treasures in heaven. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unfailing love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen.